Welcome to the Particle Podcast, where we talk about science and the people who just love it. My name is Rose, and I think we've established by now that I love talking about science. So today, I am so excited to be joined by Ray Johnston, STEM journalist and delightful geek who loves talking about science just as much as me. She joins the Particle Podcast to talk about the future of science and why gaming is good for you. So welcome to the podcast, Ray. Thanks for having me. To start off with, I would like to ask, what do you actually do? (laughs) So I am the science and technology editor at NITV. That's National Indigenous Television over at SBS. Uh, I also host a program called That Startup Show, which is all about innovation in Australia, technology and innovation. Uh, And I host a couple of podcasts as well. I I do a bunch of other things on the side as well. Uh, I think the easiest way to describe what I do is probably science communication in all its forms on every platform that exists in any way that I can. Goodness, I have already a hundred questions I want to ask, (laughs) but I'm going to start kind of right at the beginning. I want to know, like, how do you even get into this kind of job? Have you always loved science? I have always loved science. I've always been a a bit of a huge nerd uh, and I wear that badge with pride. Uh, (laughs) I I did love science a lot when I was at school. It was my favourite subject and I just really gelled with it. I I love finding out how things work. It just interests me. I want to know why things are the way they are and it's just exciting to me. But actually getting to a point where I'm working in some sort of a science field uh, has been a bit of a convoluted ride. It's it's (laughs) not been a straight path, uh, that's for sure. I actually started off as an actor. So yeah, acting was my, and and how how acting leads to science communicating, I'm I'm sure (laughs) it brings a lot of questions to the table. Um, But yeah, I I always loved acting, loved performing, loved being in front of an audience. I was a bit of an attention seeker as a kid. You might be be shocked to hear. I I loved, loved getting applause. So I've always been comfortable in front of a camera or on a stage or in front of a microphone. And my acting work actually led me to presenting work and one Mm. of my first presenting jobs was for a video game tv show and I wrote all of my own scripts and all of my own reviews and it was my first entrance into what you could consider journalism was focusing mainly on video games and from that my interests expanded to include more technology and then broader science as well so that's the really like too long didn't read version (laughs) there's been a lot of steps along the way uh but yeah but basically had the skills to be on camera had the passion and the knowledge about the topic and off I went along the way as you moved into presenting and then gaming Did you feel like you knew where you were headed or did it just kind of happen? I had no idea where I was headed. Absolutely no idea. And I think I was just saying yes to absolutely every opportunity that came my way that I liked the sound of really and then figuring out how to do it after the fact that's I've just been kind of fudging my way through it this whole time. Uh, And I think with that comes a bit of 
uh, I wouldn't say imposter syndrome because I don't really have imposter syndrome anymore, which is wonderful. Uh, mm. I, I think I think there just comes a bit of a hang on a minute. Um, have I earned my place here? Do I know what yeah. I'm doing? And and then you kind of look back and go, no, you're fine. You're doing this. It's it's all good. good. You got here on your own merit. It's it's totally fine. Um, but no, I I my job didn't exist. Like literally the job that I'm doing right now didn't exist until I started doing it. There's never been wow. a science and technology editor at NITV before. And you know, even prior to this, I was over at Junkie, the youth media website, and I was there to establish a, a gaming and tech vertical for them. So, and I was their editor. That, that, that role didn't exist before I started doing it. So it's not like I've been able to look at roles and go, I want your job in 10 years time yeah. because those jobs just were not there. And I've just been kind of on this amazing wild ride of saying yes and seeing what happens. Oh, and and How then, exciting. Oh, it's so cool. And just being able to utilise all the skills that I've picked up along the way and to be able to then help other people with that as well, to be able to yeah, help people that want to do what I'm doing now, which is one of my biggest focuses at the moment. How do you get a job that doesn't exist? Did you have to pitch or did someone come up to you and said, hey, Ray, we reckon you'd be good for this, but it doesn't exist. Can you help us make it? I actually do get a lot of the latter, yeah. I, I get oh, people, cool. yeah, I get people meeting me in certain situations, certain scenarios, usually events that I'm hosting or you know, things that I'm speaking at and they'll say, hey, I think that we could actually use your expertise within our organization, we don't know how to do this thing that you're doing. Can you come and do it for us? And I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) Why not? Why not? It's a new adventure. I'm going to learn more things along the way. You know, the the more I know about how different places work, the better I'm going to be at my job for wherever I am. So I'm not really a big believer in just like staying in the one place in the one job for a really long time. I I just want to expand my knowledge constantly and that includes the actual role that I have as well. There's so much to learn and then you just get to keep learning. Right? And I and I find myself getting to a point where I go, "Okay, cool." And that's I think that's where I was at with Junkie as well. That's I was there for a year and the gaming vertical was well and truly established and it was a beautiful, wholesome, celebratory place where you know, video games were treated like highbrow art, which is oh. incredible. Uh, and I went, okay, cool. I, I have this now and I'm sure everyone's perfectly capable of looking after it while I go on my next oh. adventure and see what I can do over here. And I'd been doing work casually with NITV for about three or four years before I joined the team full time. So I knew everyone there. I I love working with NITV. We're just like a big family. And I, I really wanted to be able to focus on science and tech over there because there'd never been someone dedicated to that beat over there. So I mm-hmm. asked them if they would give me a role that didn't exist. And they said, yes. Oh. That's wild. Isn't it? I'm like, can I do this? And they're like, yeah, all right. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> all right. When do I start? <laughs> so, yeah. Can you imagine having told your past self that you would be able oh. to do that? Like what a power move. Not even a hope would I. Uh, there's just no chance that I ever would have believed that I could 
do that, that I would have the, the, the power or the knowledge or even the self-belief to be able to yeah. walk into an organisation and say, hello, I'd like you to create a role for me. But here we are. <laughs> so <laughs> it's amazing. And in, an, and in an industry, like working in the media industry, there's both a lot of jobs and not a lot of jobs. You have to be able to forge that pathway and make yourself indispensable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, from the very beginning, I saw where there was a need and I saw where there was a, a niche to be filled and, and a gap that I could, you know, squeeze myself into. And, you know, when I first started out, it was absolutely doing the mainstream media appearances to defend video games. There was mm. a lot of really bad media at the time blaming games for all sorts of violence and melting children's brains and technology is evil and all of these sorts of things. So I was you know, jumping on those morning TV shows to say, well, no, actually, you know, there's a big difference between active technology and passive technology and it's much better for your children to be spending half an hour playing a puzzle game than it is for them to be passively consuming morning television. <laughs> so and yeah. surprisingly yeah. they got me back after saying things like that. Who would have thought? So, um, <laughs> But there wasn't really anyone doing that at the time uh, and there wasn't anyone speaking from the perspective of, of a mother as well. A lot of the gaming yeah. journalists were you know, early 20s guys, not quite appealing to a broader audience or those kinds of audiences. So that was the niche that I filled. And then as I saw there being need for you know, champions for other industries in Australia, like, like our science community, I jumped into those roles as well. So it's just where my passions go and, and where I see people need a platform and a shout out, I, I will jump in there and, and do that. How did you get into gaming in the first place? Uh, my mum got me into gaming. My mum was... Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. My mum, uh, she won't even have a console now because she's afraid that she just won't go to work. Um, she'll oh, just, no. She'll just sit in front of it and play all day. Uh, but some of my earliest memories are sitting on my mum's knee while we play video games together. That's Aww. Yeah, I had a, a Pac-Man and a Ms. Pac-Man birthday cake for my second birthday. Oh, my God, that's like, so cute. It's, it's adorable. It's so cute. I... And I think games for me were always a way to, you know, connect with my family. I'd take, you know, I had a, the, the first Nintendo Entertainment System, I'd, the little NES. I'd take that to my nans every weekend. I'd stay there and, you know, my uncles were there and we'd all play together and my cousins. And it was just, Aww. I don't know, it, it's just such a wholesome, fun, you know, activity that brings everyone together. And that's my childhood perception of games and that's just continued throughout my adult life you know I can look around now at my my friends and even my husband and I wouldn't have met anyone that's important in my life today if it wasn't for video games I've met everyone through the games community it's just incredible uh, yeah, other, other than people I am directly related to, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like my my whole bridal party was made up of people I've met because of games. So oh, it's it's so wholesome. Yeah, yeah. I think it, they just really bring people together, and I think having a, a pastime that is so immersive that you do get invested in so emotionally. You know, finding other people that have shared the same experiences as you. You know, you're consuming that content by being a part of it is you know, really it's just really lovely and it's yeah. I think it's a it's a slightly deeper connection than I think you can have with with other forms of entertainment yeah and I imagine that's quite a big misconception 
of the kind of gaming industry and the gaming community. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, gaming's always been seen from from my perspective anyway to outsiders as being something that people do alone Uh, you know it's a very solitary thing it's a very you know anti-social thing uh you know it's only violent it's only angry you know it it makes all your kids upset (laughs) like all of that sort of thing um and yeah absolutely you can get upset if you've been playing games for too long uh, but it's it's one of those things, everything in moderation. And there's so many Absolutely. benefits for games, so many benefits that far outweigh the negatives. It's it's just about understanding that, you know, too much of a good thing is is never a good thing. Which, yeah, it's the case with a lot of stuff. Exactly. That's, you know, I, I think it's funny that we still kind of live in a society that's totally fine with glorifying binge-watching Netflix all day. Like, you know, yeah. ma- making jokes about the lol, continue watching. Oh, no, I, I binge-watch a whole season in a day. But if someone turns around and went, I played 12 hours of this game today, like people so much people just look at them and go, what? what? Why are you yeah. doing that? That's such a bad thing for you to be doing. But the thing is they've probably been playing that with their friends and uh-huh. you know, socialising and engaging and planning and you know, just having a really great time. Or even if they were playing alone, what's the difference between mm. watching something on, on TV for 12 hours alone or, or playing a video game for 12 hours alone in, in terms of how it should be judged? I don't know. I just find that weird. We're not quite there I've yet. I've never. <laughs> I've never considered that, but that is such a good point. Yeah, it's it's totally the same deal. I think I think maybe it's because most of the time television viewing experiences are shared, uh, and you know, for a lot of video games, they're not shared unless you're streaming or mm. playing with someone else. So I I think there's still that idea, but people will watch a whole season of a TV show by themselves, and it's fine. Mm. It's like yeah, yeah, good for you. That's self care. But if they do the same <laughs> yeah, with <but> gaming. <laughs> But if but if it's gaming, it's not self care. There's a problem, and I'm like, hang on a minute. Yeah. Thank you for justifying my two hours <laughs> that I'll probably spend on Animal Crossings this afternoon. Look, <laughs> Animal Crossing is essentially therapy at this point. I oh, think, like, honestly, it really is. it's so I'm... calming and relaxing and methodical. I think having a routine in a game like Animal Crossing at a time when the world is so traumatized is really, really important for our mental health. I have no doubts whatsoever that Animal Crossing is incredibly beneficial to so many people around the world right now. And I think that can only be evidenced in the fact that, you know, they sold 30 million copies in the first two weeks, which is incredible. And almost the whole world is sold out of Switches. No, one, yeah. no one's got a Nintendo Switch available in store at the moment. So, yeah, what can you say? They must be making a lot of money, Nintendo, oh, yeah. right now. Oh, yeah. Nin- so much money. Look, nin- Nintendo, I've kind of had a bit of a running joke that Nintendo's been cashing in on nostalgia for the last 30 years uh, because yeah. they just keep using the same characters and now we're at a point where it's that first generation of Nintendo gamers, it's our kids that are being mm-hmm. like, given the these characters that we all know and love and, and the parents are sitting there going, yes, I used to play this when I was a kid. Um, but honestly, it's like the games industry is absolutely booming. And I've been chatting to a few people through my work just about you know, how the games industry is coping 
with everything Mm. that's going on at the moment and it is absolutely bucking the trend of almost every other industry. Mm. You've still got teams developing games remotely because we're all set up already to be able to work that way. That's totally fine. Things are still mostly on schedule in terms of creating the games that are in development and in terms of selling the games that are already out there in the market, there's just such a demand. And even in my work, I've had so many outlets come to me and say, Ray, can you come on and you know, do a quick segment? Tell us five games that we should be playing you know, with our nan or with our kids oh. or, you know, on the couch together. Yeah. Um, so I think everyone's just got this renewed interest in games. Everyone's looking at something to you know, entertain them and to be immersed in. And mm-hmm. even esports is still going. Like nothing is stopping. And they were even at a point where, you know, the esports was esports was really building up in Australia in particular. 100%. That, and we were having stadiums literally packed out with spectators for esports, which was unseen in this country, but incredibly common in places like Korea. And we're oh. really building momentum in that sort of, you know esports is a spectator sport thing in, in Australia. And I and I spoke to someone in the industry the other day and I said, are you worried that we've lost that momentum now and that you will have to rebuild it? And you know, all that mainstream media coverage that was happening about, you know, teenagers winning millions of dollars playing Fortnite, you know, that, that we're not able to capitalise on that and, and all that momentum's going away. And they just said, no, <laughs> everything's <laughs> going everything's fine everything's going to go straight back to what it was when this starts up again I'm like okay good to know so there's there's been no negative impacts on the games industry that I have been able to find other than we're dealing with some pretty you know not ideal internet situations in in Australia and and other than that it's it's basically just infrastructure with with internet and the MBN and access to it and yeah, the, just the general stress and load on servers. That That's the only problem. Other than that, gangbusters. It's doing good. That's, Games are good. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. What STEM skills would you say are involved in gaming? Because I often see them paired together, but I've never actually had the chance to ask anyone which skills either for players or for developers are used yeah i think you know, for developers it's it's very much straight up in the t of stem the the technology aspect of it but i think that it's it's kind of safe to say that there's elements of all of stem within the games industry in, in one way or another you've got people that study the impacts of video games and and that is a huge part of science in itself. Uh, you, you know, you've, you've got people that are straight up developing coding, but there's a lot of creativity that goes into it yeah. as well. That's I know, I've seen a bit of a push from some people to to use the STEAM instead of yes. the STEM to incorporate the arts. And I think this is where games fits in in that mm. arts section because it's obviously a technology. But there is so much art involved in it. You know, you've got music composition, you've got literal, you know, art, three D art, concept art. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got even just the design of levels within a game and the kind of emotional response that you want to elicit in a player. 
can be considered a form of art in itself. You know, an artist always wants to get some sort of emotional response from the viewer or consumer of their art. So I, I think if we're going to use the fuller STEAM acronym, it, it would fit in that in that A section. But I also think that there's a bit of a misconception that to develop a game, you just have to be a coder or you have to, you know, be an artist. And there's a lot of people that work you know, very successfully in you know, the project management and production side of things, you know, keeping true. the ship running and, and steering it and making sure everyone delivers on time or, or having a, a more overall creative vision in mind and making sure that each component doesn't get lost in their own world and that they're all delivering to you know, the same project at the end of the day rather than it being not as cohesive as as anticipated i can't i can't imagine a good game being made without someone to oversee it and make sure that no one steers off course that actually leads really well into one of the questions that uh one of my uh, co-workers had a question of what do you think of the use of stem versus steam versus just saying science in general what description do you think best suits the science and tech space yeah i I surprisingly don't have a very strong feeling one way or another. I think, yeah, I think I'm, I'm really happy for people to call it out. However, it fits them best, I think. And I I suppose this is where you're asking me what fits me best. (laughs) I, I say STEM a lot. uh, And that's because I think it's a, a term that's not quite all encompassing, but encompassing enough for mm-hmm. me and it's widely recognizable in the kind of work I do I think starting to incorporate you know steam into what I'm doing I I think might be a little bit confusing to a lot of my audience mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm mostly talking to a mainstream general audience that will either go science technology great gotcha or yeah. go oh stem hang on what's that again remind me and I go oh science technology engineering maths and they're like oh yeah that makes sense but once I start broadening that in any way I kind of lose them I have to keep things really simple and really easy yes. to understand so if what I'm doing is just straight up technology based, I will just say technology. If it's science based, I'll say science. But if it's something that's say, you know, an education program or a mentorship program or you know, looking at someone's body of work, I will rely on the STEM acronym to make sure that I'm not really leaving anything out. Sometimes I wonder if uh, this is just a thought I'm having right now. <laughs> it's not a particularly <laughs> well thought out thought. I was just arts are generally already involved in those things. So I do sometimes wonder, do we need the A? Because I'd argue that engineering already has creativity in it or tech already has creativity in it. So it's interesting to decide whether or not that A is necessary, whether it needs to be spelled out or not. Yeah, I think for some people that I've spoken to, particularly uh, in the Indigenous science and technology world, uh, the arts is important because that is... You know, historically and traditionally how we've communicated our science and technology through the arts. Yes. It's been through song and it's been through literal, you know, paintings and art and it's been through dance. So having having the A in there makes sense as calling it out as a, as a communication method for the delivering of yes. you know, science and technology in that sense. And, and that's where I see it really, really belonging. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, but I, I but I also agree with with the other 
yeah, the, the other thought that you had, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is that. which is basically how I operate. I'm like, wait, what do yeah. I think of this? I'm just going to talk. So, <laughs> do you think Australians in general have an interest in science? I th- I'd like to think we do. I think I'm fortunate that I'm surrounded by a bunch of really amazing people in my every everyday life that are yeah. really interested in science and technology. Um, but I also have the benefit of being able to access a bunch of audiences and to be able to get insights on those audiences to see the kinds of things that they respond to, you know, when I'm writing about them. So I think when it comes to science, people really want to see the human aspect of it and they want to see how it relates to them, how it will impact on or change either their lives or the lives of people that they know. And if they can't quite grasp that, then they're not going to enjoy engaging with it in any in yeah. any kind of way. Um, obviously there's people out there that are just interested in science for science, but you know, referring specifically to people that you know, might not be thinking about it otherwise. So I think particularly when I was at Gizmodo, I, I – always made sure that you know whatever headline I came up with you know whatever story that I was going to put out there today you know to have at the forefront who is this impacting why is this fun and cool and (sighs) why are we talking about this in the first place like and I think sometimes getting across the more seemingly abstract things like you know quantum computing it was it was really hard to narrow that down and to really nail it so that's when I started really leaning on the Australian scientists almost being a character within my reporting. So I don't know if you're familiar with Florida Man. In case you weren't aware of this meme, and I won't shame you if you weren't, Florida Man is a caricature of like funny headlines or ridiculous news stories. It's a meme often used to describe unbelievable news stories that just don't seem real. So my aim, my aim for Australian scientists was to have them be essentially the Florida man of all of my science coverage. Oh, that's and, cool. And I had in my, I had in my head just this, um, you know, just this duo, you know, there's a male and a female scientist working alongside each other, making all these amazing discoveries at, at any given moment. So oh. I had in my head these were my characters that I was working with and I'm just like, to, to hook people in, it's like, you know, Australian scientists just made an incredible, you know, discovery with, with quantum computing. And people would go, yeah. oh, that's awesome, good on you. Or, you know, Australian scientists have just worked out you know, how to make a building material that's completely recyclable and made out of reclaimed rubber tyres. Uh, yeah. ra- rather than it being just a, you know, this this polymer is, you know, going to revolutionise the construction industry. It's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but, you know, <laughs> you know what's really going to grab people? And, yeah, I think... I think that's that's really what I had to focus on to bring the audience in, and it works. So I think you're always going to have people that are interested in science no matter what, but the challenge is to get everyone else interested in science too, and I think everyone is on some level. You've just got to make it relatable to them. Absolutely. And I we were talking uh, at Particle recently. We were wondering, and I'm interested in your opinion about it, if with 
COVID-19 and all of a sudden this focus of bringing scientists to the front and having health officers on TV, you know, we don't always see them and they're talking about the stats and the science and the microbiology and the, you know, the actual science behind this pandemic. Do you think this is going to impact the way that the kind of general public and maybe non-scientific audience trusts science or maybe the way they view science? I'm interested to see if it if it means that people call out for more scientific input. What yeah, do you think? I think I think absolutely. I think with an event like this, you know, people people feel helpless and people are traumatised and people want to gather as much information as they possibly can because they're scared and they want to know who they can trust. And I think that we've done a, a really, really good job as establishing scientists as the people that you should be turning to and trusting in this time. And I think once that trust is established on this matter, I think it will only continue in other matters, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you know, along the, along the lines of things like climate science and, and being able mm. to do something about that. I, I think we've really normalized having you know, representatives of science standing in front of cameras and stating facts yeah. in a really easy to understand way. And I think that's been one of the challenges previously. I think people will go, Oh, I, I don't think I can listen to a scientist because I don't understand and I don't know what they're talking about and I don't quite grasp it. I have to have prior knowledge. And I think with the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been able to see that, no, actually this information is easily digestible. I mean, we've all been following the developments of understanding this virus as the scientists have, because there's been yeah. such a pressure not only on scientists to publish their their findings immediately, uh, but also on journalists to be able to report on literally every development that happens. So, oh, yeah. so audiences are getting a, a blow by blow update of, of the scientific process and how it works, and even all the the wrong paths that we go down, and and understanding that you know just because we thought something might work and it didn't work out doesn't mean that we're not to be trusted. It's just the process. Yes. I think they understand the process more. Yeah, I, I think that there will be more of a trust in, in science moving forward because they've seen how reliable and comforting it is yes. to have at a time like this. And I, I can't imagine that stopping, really. Yeah, it's become normal. Yeah, it's become totally normal to see, you know, chief medical officer having a chat on the news at one o'clock every afternoon. Yeah. Uh, you know, w- wouldn't it be great to be able to get an update you know, from a scientist in a different field on a daily basis? It's like, hey, so, you know, here's Jono. What's happening on the reef? Like, oh, how cool. <laughs> you know, you know. Where do you think science fits best at the moment? Is it online? Is it on radio? Is it in a podcast form? Yeah. Where do you think it's the most easily digestible? I I love podcasts at the moment. <laughs> I Good. think I think that yeah, funny, funny. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sucking up. I promise. Um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm finding myself listening to podcasts more and more uh, as a as a way of just digesting information. You know, while I'm doing something else, while I'm, you know, washing up, while I'm driving somewhere, it's it's a way of just being able to consume that content in a way that is, is just really effective for me. My brain works mm. with it. I, I think it really depends on 
different people and how they prefer to take in information. You know, some people just thrive on reading nonstop. And True. while I can handle, you know, a nice long form article, I don't have the attention span that I used to have pre-internet. I just do not. And I was around pre-internet. I'm just realizing that. Oh gosh. Um, (laughs) And I used to just read books cover to cover all day. I used to just sit down and read and and that's how I would gain all my information. Now I feel myself pulled to all these different mediums, podcasts. I'm finding I'm retaining the most information with, but Mm -hmm. I mean, that being said, this is something that I've discovered with my role at NITV because it is a cross-platform role and I'm writing articles for online. I'm producing segments with, you know, beautiful visuals and video for either news bulletins, which are shorter or, you know, longer news wrap programs of a Friday afternoon or current affairs programs or documentary programs. So it's, it's just really a matter of what the subject matter is, how deep you need to go into it. And, and mm. what kind of treatment best serves the story, really? I think I see it's, it's difficult to go, hey, science, this big, huge topic, you're best consumed here. Because I think yeah. it's really up to the individual story itself uh, as to you know, where it best belongs, really. You're, you sound incredibly busy. You're... <laughs> mentoring making content you do things on radio you do written things you interview other people sometimes you're interviewed by people like me how do you balance it all yay I love this um I (laughs) I live by a schedule I love organization yeah I'm I'm a big admin person I absolutely love planning my day I have it all scheduled out in my calendar I have reminders going off you know before and after everything I have certain blocks of my day that I set aside for doing things like getting through all my emails and making sure I answer all those uh you know I have blocks put aside specifically to just make sure that I'm eating lunch and watering my plants or putting (laughs) washing on or you know just the really boring mundane stuff um but I also have to always get eight hours sleep otherwise I can't fit everything in I'm not one of those people that can just survive on three hours and it's going to be okay I'm jealous of those people yeah I, I don't know how they do it but um no, me neither. Yeah, one, one of the things that I have to uh consider and and you know, as a factor in my life is that I I have clinical depression so I need mm-hmm. to make sure that I am drinking enough water that I'm getting in exercise that I'm sleeping enough and that I'm not overloading myself and absolutely the only way I've been able to find I can do that is to actually look at something and go okay how long is this going to take where wh- like what is this block of time that I need to put aside to prepare for this or to actually do it and where can I physically fit it in my schedule if I just say yes to things like I have in the past yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then just try to cram it in and not have that time set aside for, you know, doing yoga overnight time or making sure I'm actually cooking a meal instead of ordering takeaway or you know, taking a whole Sunday off to be offline and go for a hike, then I do not cope. So I, yeah, I only work in the hours that I've got set and if I can't fit it in, I can't fit it in and I have to say no and that's the worst part, honestly. I was going to say, do you struggle with that? Yeah, I do and I'm learning, I'm learning how to turn no's into no but I know someone else oh, that's that can good. do this. Yeah, and that I find really exciting. So I find that I get the same kind of thrill from being able to pass a gig on to someone else who, you know, 
can fit it in and is up and coming and could really use the exposure or the money even or any any kind of element that comes along with being able to do that job I get the same kind of thrill at being able to pass that on to them as I do doing it myself which is really handy um yeah I think it'd be awful if I was the kind of person that was like no I must do all these jobs myself but (laughs) but no honestly I I find mentoring and you know being able to help develop someone else's career and, and help them kind of step into the, the the steps that I've taken along the way and to be able to guide and help them out is really really satisfying for me and it makes me feel like I'm not just letting people down by saying no I'm quite guilt driven so if I, <laughs> I say no I feel bad but if I say no I can't I'm sorry but this person then I feel good all round. so yeah everyone wins Oh, absolutely. And something I did see you had time to squeeze in is you've been able to do voice acting on a kid's TV show. I do. Yes. So cool. That's so, so, so cool. Can you tell me a bit about how that works? Because that's a dream of mine to get to do voice acting. So I would love to know what it's like. Do you get to like meet the character and then learn about them? Do you help develop? The, like, how does it work? Yeah. So, um, fun fact: I've been doing voice acting for about fifteen years now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, and I think it's it's one of the acting parts that I've managed to keep along the way um, because it is you know, probably the least time intensive of all the okay. of all the forms of acting. You just rock up to the studio at your allotted time and off you go, whereas committing to a feature film is like you can't do anything else during that time. Or doing a short film is like you're doing nothing else for the next three weeks. And theatre, of course, is one of those things where you have to you know rehearse all day and then perform all night. So you can't do anything else doing those other types of acting. Voice acting is the best and I love it. <laughs> um, so for this role in particular, previously I've done a lot of more commercial work and a lot okay. of the, the characters that I have done have been for, you know, little short films or one episode here or there. But this was the first time I've been uh, you know, a recurring character in, in a series and I don't have the release date for the show yet because unfortunately oh. everything's been a little bit delayed but as yeah. soon as I know I can tell but uh, it's for a show called Space Nova and my character is named Janali Banks and the introduction to her was when I was I was given some lines to audition and I had to record myself. I was given a little bit of info about her character, you know, mm-hmm. where she's from, what she does uh, and how she relates to the other characters that are in the yep. show. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of her tone and, you know, just, just what her natural kind of responses would be. And, you know, once I, I got the gig, which was awesome, uh, I met all of the other voice actors and we did a table read of one of the episodes. So we all got to listen and hear about how the other actors will be portraying their characters, what they're going to sound like, which makes it a lot easier to interact with them because once you get to the studio, you don't see anyone. Ah. So, yeah, so all of their parts are already recorded or you're Mm. the first one recording. You just say your lines. You might hear what they've said and, you know, they might hear what you've said, but you're just in there on your own, either responding to nothing or responding to pre-recorded lines. So there's a a lot of imagination involved in it. Uh, You really need a good director, and we were lucky to have a really great director who can say, yep, okay, but this is the point that you're at in the action right now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you've really got to be heightened. 
and they keep track of where you are in the episode because everything's recorded out of order as well. It's not like you're going in there and just you're reading it, taking turns in the studio. It's you, you'll be recording this section from this episode and this section from this episode. So, and then it all just kind of gets mashed together afterwards, which is which is really fun. Um, in terms of development of the character. Uh, I did have a lot of freedom to bring a lot of myself to the character and, and oh. a lot of what I, you know, feel like she would be. And mm-hmm. you know, she's exceedingly cool, way cooler than I could <laughs> ever, 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 ever imagine to be, which was, which was awesome. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think it would differ from production to production as to how much input you have in the character development. But yeah. it's, it's been a really, really, really fun process and, yeah, we laid down the the final the final tweaks for the audio just before everything went into lockdown, which is great. And I've yeah. seen some of the animations, and I'm, I'm incredibly excited for everyone to see it. I hope I hope it can inspire a lot of kids to get really interested in science and in space as well. Ah, oh, it's so cool. Yeah, and it's really cool. Your kids get to watch it. Are, you, are they excited? Well, yeah. So I've uh, I've got the one. The one, one kid. I don't know if I can call him a kid anymore. He turned eighteen. I have a I have a, a large adult son. Um, you do, so, <laughs> you do. So he's um yeah he's always really excited. That's I, it's funny because he's kind of grown up watching me do things, and uh-huh. it's just really normal to him. I think. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, I have to go, hey buddy, like this isn't like this is actually really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I know it's normal for you to see your mum on the telly, but you know, come on. Yeah, yeah, get excited. But no, he's he's always really excited and really supportive. And and honestly, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be doing anything that I'm doing now. So, yeah, I I set out to do what I love because I knew that I needed to show him that it was possible. Um, oh. So if I didn't have him in my life, I probably just would have been content doing whatever. Um, so yeah, it's all thanks to him that I'm here. Did he get into science? Did it rub off on him? He's more on the tech side of things. He's one oh, of the, cool. yeah. He's one of those people that loves building PCs, and oh, he's um, yeah, he's big into big into gaming, and he wants to be a pro pro gamer. So that's his path. He's playing a lot of Valorant at the moment. Prior to that, ah. Apex. Prior to that, Overwatch. So that's his thing. Well, at least he has parent a parent who actually get it and you'll be supportive she's like yeah I get it go train up I get it but I'm also one of those parents that goes you know you can't just play games all day and be good you need to exercise you need to eat well you need to get sleep you need to be playing other games other than the game that you're training in you need to you know have a schedule so yeah I think sometimes sometimes it's a blessing sometimes it's a curse for him I think Now, to finish up with, we have a very important question, and I don't doubt you have a hundred of these, but I would like to ask if you have a science fun fact you would like to share with the podcast. Oh, yes, I do have so many, but my science fun fact that I would like to share today uh, is that gaming has been linked to an increase in brain matter. It can literally 
grow parts of your brain. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So specifically the parts of your brain responsible for your spatial awareness and orientation and memory formation. It's really good for memory skills, strategic huh. planning as well. And also your fine motor skills, of course, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so right there in the uh, right hippocampus, I always go to say that one wrong, and the uh, the prefrontal cortex as well. So, yeah, gamers have bigger brains. That is awesome. I'm 100% going to use that <laughs> as an excuse to buy some more games. <laughs> do it do it do it yeah there's been there's been so many so many gaming fun facts come out of the all the studies that i've read you know the literally creating new neural pathways to be able to make decisions faster gamers make decisions faster so you're training your brain to be better at so many things when you're playing video games that is phenomenal well thank you so 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 much for joining us on the podcast ray no worries thanks for having me it's been really fun Thank you for listening to The Particle Podcast. You can find more of our content on all of the socials as well as at particle.scitech.org.au. This episode, as always, was recorded in the vibrant science hub that is Western Australia and Particle is powered by SciTech.